What's up, profitable public speaking listeners? Mark Bird, the podcasting coach here, helping people to launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts. And when it comes to public speaking, one of the things that people want is predictable revenue. Because when it comes to speaking, you speak at different times of the year. So how can we make sure that we are making this predictable revenue as a public speaker? That's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Our guest who joins us he is the author of From Impossible to Inevitable and Also Predictable Revenue. His sales systems have helped companies like Salesforce, Twilio, Zora, and others to generate billions of dollars in revenue. He's also married with 10 children and is the co-CEO of PredictableRevenue.com. So our guest who joins us for this episode of Profitable Public Speaking is none other than Aaron <laughs> Ross. Aaron, welcome. Hey, Mark. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Aaron, I mean, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. And I mean, again, I do want to mention Aaron has 10 kids and he's still able to grow his business. He's still able Help to- Help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, I, I bring that up because, you know, people will, uh, you know, people come up with all of these different excuses and Aaron's someone who's able to get it done. So- just wanted to mention that really quickly, yeah. but uh, for revenue and public speaking, I mean, I feel like one of the big challenges is how do we make our revenue predictable instead of like month by month hoping that something comes our way or hoping we get lucky with revenue. So how do we make our revenue more predictable? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, who doesn't want predictable revenue, whether you have a business or whether uh, it's kind of your own income? Um, it's interesting. I never, I, when did I think of it should be, uh, one just interesting stat because, um, I do get paid to speak now. I didn't start that way. And my talks range at this point, a lot of times like 15,000, 25,000. One, the most I got was a $60,000 talk. So I got paid a lot of money to speak. It feels like a lot of money. It's always a need for more money when you have a big family. Um, so it's just, I can't remember how many years was it where I was like, oh, I want to get paid to speak. Or even before that, I was like, I want to speak. So just thinking like, it's a good chance. I never really thought about that journey to speaking from, oh, I've got something I want to say to I'm going to say it publicly in front of people to I'm going to charge, I don't know, my first dollar for it to I'm going to actually just do it, you know, get paid a lot to do it. So it's, um, I'm going to guess it's probably been like 10 years over that, over the years of doing this. So where do you want to start, Mark? <laughs> I mean, 10 years is, I mean, you, you just quickly, like you hear those numbers, like 60 grand being the most Aaron's made from a single gig and there is a 10 year build up. So it's not like this happens automatically. Uh, and now you're an no. in-demand speaker. So can you share with us? how you became in demand and are able to lock in these, I know 60 grand is the highest, but 15 grand you mentioned was something that happened. Yeah, it's still a lot of, yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, it really started with um, having a specialty that people cared about and it was worth money to them. So again, I go back to, uh, you know, 15, let's say 15, about 15 years ago, I worked at a company called salesforce.com. But the reason I went there was because I started a company and it failed. And, you know, I'd done things like product management and finance and product marketing and, and coding. 
but I'd never really learned how to make money. I'd never really learned what does it take kind of a little bit as a person, but also as a business, like how do you make money? And there's different ways. And so one lesson I've learned over time that making money is in a lot of ways, like learning to play a guitar. You know, some people are naturals, but a lot of people, if you just kind of focus on learning how to do it, you can get better at it. So that was the start like 15 years ago, like, okay, learning how to make money, wanting to make money, wanting to learn how to do sales and making money a priority. So money's a priority. That's one component here. The other was um, just following kind of like my interests. Um, I didn't do sales just because I, ha I thought I had to do it. I actually was interested. I really wanted to do it. It's not so much the learning how to sell, but just wanting to really learn how it works. So I follow this desire and this passion or this interest. Passion is a very word because if people feel like, oh, it has to be this big thing. It was just, maybe it's called like a really strong interest. And I just kept digging into that to be like, how can I contribute to people? How can I get better at this sales thing? So that ended up looking like coming up with a, you know, unique process to do outbound selling. Um, but I did that for like three years. So really important point was I spent a lot of time honing my craft, even when it didn't feel good, felt boring, was frustrated, all the ups and downs, sick of this, don't want to do it anymore. Um, but three years honing the craft of kind of sales process and building a sales team. So one more next step, um, left Salesforce, had ideas, but interesting enough, like working with a bunch of other companies kind of took those raw, the raw experience, the raw expertise and forced me to generalize it so that it was useful and meaningful to more than one type of person, more than one type of company. So in other words, um, I had a book. So 2006, I had uh, a possibility. I had the opportunity to do a book, business book with Wiley, what a publisher. And I didn't do it. I did, I published the book five years later by myself, but in those five years, like the book, the first version of the book would have been very, it would not have been as insightful or compelling. It would not have been as simple. It would not have been as useful. It would have been too much, not fluff because it wouldn't have been fluff, but just it hadn't been sharpened to like the really key essentials that made people pay attention and like get value. And sort of consulting or helping or advising or getting advice to a bunch of different types of clients sharpened that content and that message to the point where I to, since I knew what people needed, I knew what they were doing wrong. I knew what they needed and how they could get value from it. Mm -hmm. So that was another step. Now, so far, this is 2002 to 2000, you know, it's at least five years. Let's just something like that. It takes time to sharpen the craft. It, yeah, especially, in, yeah, it does to get really, to get really good at something. So it's the thing I didn't realize and people don't is how high the bar is for really good content, how high the bar is to be noticed, how high the bar is to get paid. You know, it's, you know, because I think I had this feeling and probably a lot of people, which is I have this important message that I should, I can share with people. I might not even know what it was. I just feel like I felt like I should be inspiring people and making money. So start with the feeling, but to 
look back and be like, wow, from that point to where I am today, which is making like, again, they say high paid, uh, these talks. Um, it took a, it was a much bigger jump in what I thought would the bar of quality and the journey was much harder. So I think that's also important thing is to realize is you have to be prepared to do the time, which is it could take, will take years longer than you want. And you can't stop. You can't kind of get comfortable. You have to just keep digging to how do you get better at that craft? It's like the craft are related to the topic you're talking about and the craft of marketing and selling yourself as well at the same time. And uh, I mean, again, like there's just so much time that goes into developing the craft and anyone who's really true about honing in on their craft, like Aaron's still learning. I'm still learning about our, like we keep learning, but there comes a point where people have to know who we are to book us for the uh, speaking opportunities. So uh, what are some of the things you're doing to like build relationships and get noticed by these kinds of people who can write that $15,000 $15,000 check or something like that to have you speak at their event. Yeah. So again, I think really important was doing the time to build your craft, to get great at your craft. Um, somehow working with other people and so you can generalize it to really sharpen what, like pull the diamonds out of the, out of the rough for what really matters. Um, one other way I did that, which I thought was important was again, holding events. So like basically looking for opportunities to speak, whether it was to other people's venues or my venue, mm-hmm. which could have been like, I mean, I did a conference call with half a dozen people. I had dinner with four people. I had, uh, I held a workshop with 20 people. I attended someone else's webinar. Um, so public speaking for free, whether again, it's someone else's, um, their their venue their, their stage or your own and doing that let's say i don't know let's say over a couple of years it might have only been a couple dozen real events i, I looked in my evite one time and i i at least hosted two dozen events over i think a couple of years that was another thing to really kind of sharpen like what are the really the essence of um what people care about and what who should i be talking to what do they care about what am i asking what am i asking them to do so that was in complement to the um it's called consulting um, really, or just like working with other people and like, what does it take to help them? So again, this is, this wasn't extra years. This is at the same, same similar time that I was doing the consulting. So again, we're still in this like five or six year range, roughly. Um, I actually don't remember when I got first paid to speak. I do remember that 2011 ish was the first time, maybe 12, the first time I had like a, I remember like a big keynote sales conference. Um, so that's almost eight or nine years after kind of starting the sales journey. So I think, again, there's this point where you say, make a decision. I don't just want to speak. It's I am going to speak mm-hmm. first. And then I think that comes first before, okay, now I'm speaking. And then, okay, now I'm going to get paid to speak. So those are like two conscious decisions that I made at some point, which then shifted the from could be, would be someday too. Okay. It's going to happen. And again, I think it was more and more at the right time. I remember I was doing a bunch of kind of free speaking and again, free speaking is great because it's a chance to put your name out there. And at that point, sometimes I had, I, uh, I did some before I had the book, sometimes I ha- after I had the book. So you're getting your name out there. I don't remember if I found many clients, 
definitely was making a lot of partnerships and like building my network of people who had audiences. So, um, and I made a lot more money through consulting. Most of the money I've made, um, let's call it like a, it might even be like $500,000 a year. So I don't know if my speaking is like a hundred to $150,000 a year. Um, I would do more again, having a big family. I don't really market myself as much, but it's maybe half a million in consulting and some book royalties. Um, but even speaking, most of the money I made was with consulting and with, so far selling books and speaking. Most of the money I made is through consulting so far. Um, book sales, you know, they're great, but I mean, a book is just a way to like build credibility. Like you, some people make a full-time income just on the book royalties, but a lot of authors like Aaron, like, you know, tough though. Like, I mean, it would be tough. Like you, you have to have like a ton of books. Like you don't really see too many people doing it on one book. You see like people having dozens of books to make that type of income. But uh, what people like Aaron are doing is like, it gives you leverage. It gives you like, uh, you know, when you're pitching yourself as a speaker saying you're an author is a really big difference maker. So there are a lot of things that having a book does for you. And uh, when it comes to getting the different gigs you get, I mean, I know there are different kinds of setups for getting paid to speak. There's colleges, some business events and corporation talking. So what would you say makes up the I mean, bulk? Post your own, the bulk of, uh, the bulk of like your speaking revenue. Is it university? Is it corporation or is it something else? Okay. Yeah. So for me, um, again, the next thing about sales is people are willing to pay money for, if they make money, they're willing to pay money. Um, so mostly it's companies, uh, sorry, conferences, or either investors or conferences, like business conferences, sales conferences, growth conferences, um, private equity companies. So I just did the, one, the big one. I did a couple of big ones in Brazil. Uh, again, like kind of just business growth or sales conferences. So, and that's not by accident actually, because uh, again, around 2010, 2011, um, I was single. So having 10 kids is completely relevant to all this because 10, nine, 10 years ago, I was single, didn't have a lot of expenses, didn't have to make much money and uh, got married. We there, she had two kids from a prior marriage. So we already had kids. She got pregnant. Um, and I remember this moment, okay, I, now I have to make more money. Mm. And I've been experimenting with different projects or something called uniquegenius.com, how to make money through enjoyment. Kind of like, it's fulfilling to you and turn that into income. There's CEO flow, turn your employees into mini CEOs for like executives who feel trapped by their jobs. And there is predictable revenue. Um, and it came down to the way, the easiest way to, for me to make more money was predictable revenue. It was kind of like, that was where my craft was the most recognized and the most valuable. And it was the easiest to, to show people, here's how you make money. If you do this, you will make money. And when they can see that, when you can translate what you do into tangible results, it's easier for people to pay you money for different than consulting or even speaking. So there wasn't an accident. I think it's also, again, really important to, for most people, my default would be whatever you do, can you turn your, um, your expertise 
into something that helps people usually obviously make a tangible difference, but frequently that means money or some version of that. Not always, but I think it's easier when you can. It's just more clear. All right. If I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars, yeah, I'll pay 50,000 or I'll pay 10,000 to make a hundred thousand versus if I want to have like a better relationship with my child, that's really valuable. Like how do I put a dollar on that? It's just more, Mm. not as clean. So I don't know money. I'm not money driven except I am family driven and I need to make a lot of money to support the family. So uh, again, I kind of came to that late because I was never really motivated by money itself. Uh, money is a means to an end, but I've kind of come along the way to really appreciate how vital it is as a life skill to learn how to make money, why people don't make money. And this is more like business and sales. Uh, I'm not talking about investments, which I really don't know. Like investing and even like saving money, like that's not, I know how to like, it's more like the money creation, like making through a business, through selling, through marketing uh, is really kind of my specialty. And again, cause I just saw the value um, through painful experience of like losing a company and having supported my family and again, sort of honing my craft still. So I can, t- I expect to do more books. In fact, even as we go this, this podcast, I'm like, Oh, this is good stuff. I need to kind of capture up this other book. I'm starting to think about, um, which I, I can, I'll give a couple tips. I think it's totally relevant, but yes, like how to learn how to make money. It's, it's a skill. It's just a skill. It's not magic, but you have to, Admit how important it is that you want to do it and be ready for, I mean, you're not going to be an expert guitarist in the first year you pick up the guitar. It might take you a few years. Could you make tremendous progress? Totally. Well, some people pick it up and, and just like knock it out of the park quickly. A few, but most people need to just practice their asses off for years to be really good at something. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely takes long-term. That's the way you have to think. It's interesting how Aaron mentioned that, you know, when he realizes his kid's on the way, that's when he's like, oh, I got to make money. And Aaron's not the only one. Yeah, you're not the only one I've heard this from, though. Like, there are people who, like, whether it's having a kid or realizing, like, oh, like, I'm struggling to make the mortgage payment. Everything's going to fall apart if I don't, like, you know, come through for my family. So, like, I mean, I get that. And that's a really great reason to want to make money and stuff like that but for people who like you know i don't have a kid coming up anytime soon or anything like that i'm just 21 at the moment of this interview and i'm like you look so young yeah you hope not because you look so young, yeah. like 13. <laughs> but like for someone like who, it, but- for someone who like doesn't have those like those same types of motivations how do you still like you know find the like motivation or like find that reason because you have a lot of people who maybe they don't have that type of reason or they don't have that same type of drive. Oh, totally. Yeah, I get that. So it actually leads perfectly into this, um, this book I'm thinking about, right? So the last book I did is called the impossible to inevitable. So that's really more like a business growth. If you have a business and you've got probably some salespeople, uh, CEO type, how do you, how do you grow those companies? Um, the principles are the same for, I think, anyone. But one of the sections in that book is called Forcing Functions because that's really how I manufacture motivation for myself. So the new book, I'm like, wow, you know, when I do talks, because I did a talk that was titled, um, this one wasn't a paid one, 
again, testing out some new stuff, how, uh, um, how I grew a business, how I grew a $5 million business while raising 10 kids. And you know, the, the bottom, like the last, like the main takeaway that I was like asking people to do was this idea of forcing functions, which is really, um, at least for me and lots of people committing to something in a way that you have to do it. So the example I use is you want to get into shape, do you join a gym or do you sign up for a marathon and tell all your friends you're doing it. Mm. Okay. So again, the great thing about public speaking when you initiate it, cause there's lots of ways you can drive it by again, holding your own webinar, holding your own conference call, holding your own meetup, holding your own, whatever. There's lots of ways to do it. Starting your own podcast kind of, um, you're committing to dates to show up to people and those are really hard to back out of. So in other words, it, the trick is there's forcing functions can be done in different ways. One of my favorite committing to a date to do something like publish something could be a book webinar or have an event and then you do it. And then people ask, well, what do you do after that? Well, then you do it again and you do it again. So part of this, the, the, the willpower is once you've done your, your, you're doing your forcing functions, which could again be committing uh, great. It's a great one. It's just committing publicly to do things by certain dates. There's other, we can, but um, the trick is like, once you've done those to keep doing them and to keep doing them, because it, you're like two or three or four years in, you're like, ah, oh, when is this going to work? But you're getting there as long as you keep doing it. Another example, so another example of a forcing function is a business that takes an investor, right? If you run your own business, you can kind of like, oh, if I want to grow, great. If I don't want to grow, great. But when you take an investor, okay, now I got to figure out how to grow. Um, having kids, forcing function. Now I have to figure not only how to make more money, but also how to really be much more masterful with how I juggle things and manage my time and how to appreciate the time. So there's versions of forcing functions. It's how do you, you want to do something? How do you kind of like lock yourself in so you have to do it and you can't back out because a lot of the growth, both in income and expertise, um, getting, getting paid to speak comes from pushing through the challenging times to get to the other side. Yeah, I mean, it, it is good to commit yourself to something like the reason I'm able to create so much content is because I do all these podcast interviews. I have to be mm -hmm. here at a certain time versus yeah. if I just want to create a video, which I do stuff for my YouTube channel, don't get me wrong, but uh, it's like, you know, if I don't feel like doing the video today, no big deal. I could just do it tomorrow and I could just yeah, keep yeah. saying that. But if I like just blow off this interview with Aaron or something like that, you know, that's not the same type of like I'm letting someone down like someone's on the other side waiting for me uh, so similarly if you like do a meetup or if you do a webinar and you announce it and you have people sign up like people are expecting you so I like that idea of forced commitment which yeah. can really force you to get motivated yep yeah, and to do it and you got to keep doing it keep doing it so the the the, the title of the book I and mean, I'm just thinking about this so early so Forcing functions and baby steps because too, a lot of people commit to that thing. Oh, that's the easy part, right? I'm going to do this and it can be scary. Okay. In three weeks, I'm going to do this event. I mean, there's so many times I said, all right, in three weeks, I'm going to do an event and I don't know what it's going to be called. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I'm going to tell people I'm doing an event and that alone pulled me to figure out the details. 
but um, we get stuck. Some people, when they commit to something or they've got um, an obstacle or challenge or big thing they're trying to accomplish, they kind of run around like a rabid chihuahua, right? Just like spinning in circles, running so fast, they don't even know where they're going. Other people freeze up, <sighs> deer in headlights, like what? I'm more of the deer in headlights if I get, if I get. So for me, like baby steps are the, when I get stuck or if I just, you know, I need, if I do like even one little thing, then it's progress. Not so coming away from this thing of, oh, okay, writing a blog post Ugh, feels like so much. Okay, well, step one, just open my Word doc, my Word app. Okay, step two, I put my fingers on the keyboard. You know, just really trying to focus on being in the present, that little tiny step next, because if I think too far ahead, I freeze up and get stuck. It's actually worse now than it used to be because now um, I've, I kind of like have created content I'm really proud of and people expect stuff. So the level of my perfectionism has gone up, which is here's an idea uh, that happens more now than it used to before I was just like, I don't know, posting stuff and who cares. Right. I mean, I get that. Like doing the little goals just to like not get overwhelmed because once you like, you have a super successful book or you have a super successful speaking gig. Like you just want to be at that level or higher for every future thing that you do and really being able to break it down into tiny steps and tiny goals and being able to build those up definitely makes it a lot easier and a lot less stressful on you also, because then it's like uh, you can build up to something rather just than knowing what that final thing is you have to build up to. Yeah. It's also kind of tough because part of, if you're going to create something really, I think, new and interesting, the beginning stages, you're in this, like, uh, this ugly phase, kind of like exploring. I mean, you can, it's, it's probably perspective, which is, hey, there's this, inter- I'm not really sure where this can go, and that's okay. But it's really easy to go to, wow, this doesn't make any sense, it doesn't fit, like, to become uh, ugly baby syndrome, right? Oh, my baby's ugly. So it's easy to get sort of stuck in that, and I get, I get stuck there. So but I see that and like, how do I get myself out of that? Um, of course, it's hard too, like having a big family and having a business to run. So these, you know, another lesson is um, you can't wait until you have enough like time or energy or ideas or passion or enthusiasm. Like those are all nice to have. I've had those in the past sometimes, sometimes not. For a lot of years, I haven't had a lot of those. Like again, time energy, money, and, you know, I've got passions, but again, a lot of times I'm just tired from the hustle of having a huge family and, but I still have to push things forward. So those are great. I love them when I've got them or if I feel like to, but I can't wait for them. So it's easy to put all the stuff off. And I put these off for a long time when I was younger, you know, how do you, you got an interest, how do you at least commit yourself to the next step? And keep taking those and keep taking those. Um, sometimes, again, it can be even for years while you're trying to figure out, like, where is this going to go? What's my expertise? What do people care about? How can I make money at this? How can I speak at this? I mean, for me, and I think for most people, it, it took years. And I, I don't remember if I had an expectation. I, I'm sure I thought it would happen faster. But I think this, this problem is... We're surrounded by stories of people. And actually, we wrote about this in the Impossible book in part five called the Do the Time. We're surrounded by stories of people who are like this fast success. And so in yeah. our minds, our, our expectations are completely out of whack. 
you know, there's, again, there's like uh, one out of 50 people are born who can just like play the guitar and it's just natural and they just rock it. It doesn't, they have to practice, but not that much. And they're 15 and they're just like banging on it. All right. How many, and the other 49 of us are like banging our heads against, why am I not in a rock, a crazy, amazing band at the age of 16 with like a label and, and it's just this uh, compare and despair. So much more common. It was always there, but with social media, just something you gotta be aware of. So you can catch it and come back to, okay, forget other people, like here I am, what's next? And just take the next step. I mean, it really just boils down to taking one step at a time and asking yourself questions along the way. Like how do I make more money as a public speaker? How can I reach more people? How can I really hone in on my craft? And that's what allows you to become that individual who will someday get all these different speaking gigs that pay you and uh you know you get the five-figure speaking gig as aaron's been able to do Mm -hmm. Uh, so one of the things that i'm going to invite all of you listening to do is to continue following aaron's work uh we do have a bunch of links in the show notes predictable revenue will be in there impossible to inevitable will be there as well but are there any other places you want us to go to keep following your work and everything you're doing um, you know, the best, the best place that impossible to inevitable book is the best place to start for people who want to, um, I guess kind of written for companies, but the principles are the same. Like basically in the book, it says nail a niche again, it's just be an expert in something. Um, part two is like creating predictable pipeline, which is how do you just generate opportunities for yourself? So and a lot of the way I've made money and grown my own money is very aligned with how companies do it. But uh, it's from the, the landing page for the book is from impossible.com. And uh, again, don't know if, when this new book will come out, what it'll be called, but it's, it's, you know, I talk about it as a way too, to kind of flesh it out. It becomes a little, becomes a little more real. I'm not willing yet to say, all right, I'm going to do the book by a certain date, but I, I'm just, I'm still playing with it in that non ugly phase, just having fun with it. A little nervous, like, okay, if I commit to a book, okay, I don't know. But I don't know, I'm just having fun with it. So what would it be about? Even talking about this, this is, uh, this is helpful, like re-clarifies things that I would put into it, likely, most likely. So um, we'll have links in the show notes. Aaron's next book, we've got a um, to be continued. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you. Work, you'll figure out when he's coming out with a book. But Once again, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Profitable Public Speaking. It was such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Man, you see, look, you're starting young, so I'll see it.